If you have a Bible, you can turn to the New Testament book of Jude. It's the second to the last book of the Bible, super easy to find. It's just before the book of Maps and the book of Revelation. Uh, And you can find Jude. There's only one chapter. I want to begin this morning by asking you if you believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yes, I think the overwhelming majority of people who would gather at Omaha Bible Church on a Sunday would heartily agree that salvation, salvation from condemnation, salvation from hell, salvation from judgment, salvation comes to us only by God's grace. And it comes only by faith or trust in the finished work of Jesus because of Jesus and because of Jesus alone. We would affirm those things. It's so much of the backbone of everything we believe about Christ and about the gospel. What if I ask you, do you believe that there is one mediator, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus? What would you say? You'd say yes. You would say amen. You would at least give the nonverbals, right? Because that's what 1 Timothy says. I'm quoting it. And you say, well, of course there's only one mediator between us and God, the man Christ Jesus. Of course we believe those things. Now what if you encountered someone who had consciously committed themselves to denying those things that you just affirmed? What if you met someone? What if you knew someone? What if you knew of someone who, who had given themselves, they'd given their life, they'd committed themselves to teaching the exact opposite of those things and calling it the gospel? What would you do? I hope you would want to tell them about Jesus if you could, that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, because that's what the Bible says. I hope you'd want to tell them about Jesus and his perfect work of of coming here to earth, living a perfect life, and, and then dying a sinner's death, and then rising again from the dead, and then saying, it is finished. Work is done. So we're, we're, we're benefiting from that only by God's grace, not by what we do. And it's only through faith or resting in him and him alone because his work is perfect. I hope you'd want to tell that reality and tell the good news to that person. But if the person is a teacher, doing all he can do in his life, committed his life to teaching the exact opposite, I hope you would conclude what about the person? I hope you would conclude that they're a false teacher, that they're a liar, they're dangerous. If you would do that, and I think most of you would, you would do far better then 500 evangelical pastors asked similar questions this week. Because their conclusion about such a man was that he is a brother in Christ, welcomed and affirmed. Do I need more of an introduction for the book of Jude this morning? I don't think I need more of an introduction for the book of Jude. Jude is helping Christians like you and like me to see the danger of false teachers who profess to be Christians and yet they're imposters. 
and yet they don't hold to the faith, the gospel, the truth about Christ that we summarize so, so helpfully as salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And Jude is helping people like us to see them for who they are even if they might not want to, they may not want to, even if they're going to feel some conflict for doing so. Because it's right. Because we're not talking about um, anything shy of issues that relate to eternity. And so this morning we're going to be in Jude and we should be motivated ready. Help me, God. Equip me, God. Further, help me understand the gospel, God. Help me to understand the sinister nature of false teachers who've crept in unnoticed. And help me understand so that I can love my neighbor and I can love other people and love other Christians enough to help them understand that there is such a thing as false teaching if there is a once and for all, having been delivered to the saints, faith. Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to continue on. We're almost done with Jude. We're going to look at verses 17 to 23. And in 17 to 23, we'll be able to identify some survival tactics, okay? Three survival tactics as we live in an age of false teachers. It's always been an age of false teachers, but we live in an age of false teachers, So how do we survive? How do we survive the worst thing ever, worse than anything Hollywood could muster up in fiction? How can we survive the worst thing ever because we're dealing with things that have to do with eternity? We need some survival tactics. And so we find three of them in Jude 17 to 23. How relevant is that? What's been happening in Jude is he's been taking aim at false teachers and now he's going to not take aim, but now shift the focus to Christians and say, let me help you in these dangerous times. And if you don't think they're dangerous times, God help you, <laughs> literally, <laughs> to see they're dangerous times. Okay, so survival tactic number one. You can summarize it this way. Remember what the true apostles said. Remember what the true apostles said. That's a good way to summarize the opening verses. Remember what the true apostles said. It says in verse 17, But you, shifting now to believers. Some translations leave that out. They shouldn't have left it out. It's there in the Greek New Testament. But you, it's meant to shift our focus. But you, unlike the false teachers, must remember. There it is. You must remember. You must recall. You must take to heart. Take this sincerely. You must remember, beloved... Just a quick note there. This might not be labeled loving, what I've been writing in the book of Jude. It may not be labeled loving to, to call somebody out. But he says, beloved, this is a loving thing to tell you. Must remember, beloved, the predictions of the, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what they said would happen. Now let's... Remind ourselves, who are the apostles? He's probably doing this because false teachers are smart enough to know that when they want to peddle something, they claim apostolic authority, right? Or something like that. 
may not be what he's doing, but it's, it's, it's likely. Who are apostles? I just made myself a little list here. The apostles are the authorities. I remember one time having just hammered into my mind in a class, and it was helpful. When you see the word apostle, and I've been saying it for years at Omaha Bible Church, think authority. Okay? They have authority. There are people who are sent, and they're sent with authority. And so here he's saying to the Christians, remember the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the authorities. See, false teachers claim authority. And if they're smart, they claim apostolic authority. And he's saying, remember that the, the, the true apostles, remember what they said. They, they talked about false teachers coming. Remember that. And isn't it interesting that, that Jude even emphasizes, he doesn't just give a shorthand, which he could have. Remember the predictions of the apostles. He says, remember the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just assume that that's more than just a passing title. He, he's the one who's in charge. Not these false teachers who say, I had this dream, I had this vision, God told me, God spoke to me, or I have had this kind of experience, or I'm related to so-and-so. No, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they carry the authority, how about this, of the authority. And so that should settle things. Remember them. And that makes sense if, number two, the apostles were the eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. Acts chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We could go to other texts. But part one of the requirements was they had to be around when Jesus was around. They had to see Him raised from the dead. They had to be uh, there when He was there. It's not the only requirement for an apostle, but that's one of the requirements. Remember what they said. They're the ones who saw the historic events. They should know what they're talking about. I'm going to continue my little list here because it's an important issue when we read our Bibles. Number three, they make up the foundation for Christianity. They make up the foundation for Christianity so that what they say should matter. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone, but then built on that. If you're building a building, if you're building uh, this thing called Christianity, you've got level one, if you will, foundation, apostles and prophets, because they were there with Jesus. They saw the risen Christ. Number four, they end up being the genuine interpreters of the events of Christianity. Not only do they say, yeah, I was there, I saw him. They say, here's what it means authoritatively so, because they're the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this from texts like Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the church gathers, and what do they gather for? They gather for prayer, they gather for fellowship, and they gather to, to think on, to meditate on, to focus on the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean that Jesus was raised from the dead? What does it mean that he went to the cross? What does it mean that he's the one true mediator. The apostles' doctrine. He's saying, remember the apostles. Who cares about these false teachers, pseudo-wannabe, make-up apostles? What did the true apostles say? Not the pretend apostles. Remember, Jude talks about people who don't like authority. He likens them in verse 11 to Korah. They're corruptors because they don't like authority. They don't like the genuine. Well, you've got the apostles' doctrine. Another way of saying that is you have the faith. False teachers don't like it. And here he's saying, remember what they said. Remember what they taught you. 
I would want to make sure I emphasize that to you. Remember what the apostles taught. Not the self-proclaimed apostles. The ones that really meet the qualifications. It's remembering the faith. But then move on with me if you would. Verse 18. They said to you, the true apostles, in the last time, when is that? In light of Hebrews chapter 1, it's now. It's, it's bracketed by the coming of Jesus till the second coming of Jesus. In the last times. In the last time, there will be scoffers. Some translate that mockers, if that helps you. They're, they're people who make fun of a ridicule. In our context, they're, they're, they're mockers, scoffers. They're people who would ridicule, ridicule you or make fun of you because you believe the faith once and for all delivered. Yeah, but there's this new... Who, why do you have your head in the sand? I've got a word from God. She's got a word from God. He's got a word from God. There's all this new stuff and, and they're, they're new apostles and what about this and what about that? And you're so not with it. I mean, you don't have this new book? Are you crazy? What kind of church do you go to anyway? Not that I'm against new books, but you get the idea. You could be mocked and scoffed at. And he says, remember what the apostles did. They warned you about these guys who would come and scoff, come and mock, come and make fun of. You're so behind the times. You're not in touch with the Spirit. Scoffers. Notice what these scoffers do. They make fun of you for being committed to the historic Christian faith following their own ungodly passions. So you're supposed to follow the faith, according to verse 3, once and for all. And what do they follow? They follow their own ungodly passions. That's what they want to follow. Kind of a, it's kind of a whammo, you know? It's kind of a doozy. It's kind of a head smacker. But he's saying to Christians like us, hey, remember who these guys are. Remember who these gals are. Remember that even the apostles warned about them. He doesn't quote a text in particular. Could be uh, they, they, they warned about them um, verbally. Or like, you know, we have examples like the apostle Paul and... Acts chapter 20, warning the Ephesian elders. Regardless, remember the apostles said this is going to happen. You've got to remember who these people are. Don't be intimidated. They might, might mock you, but don't succumb to the pressure. Survival tactic, remember what the apostles taught. I've mentioned this several times, and, and that's that, you know, sometimes we might have the wrong impression that Judas just, you know, off his meds. <laughs> just have, hasn't gotten enough sleep. Uh, grumpy. It's the negative guy. Um, just remember, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, there are, will be wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. They wear shepherd's clothing but they're actually wolves. They're fake pastors teaching things that deny the faith. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jude isn't grumpy. Jude is, is committed to the fact that there's a once and for all faith. And people who say other things are actually just following their own lusts, their own appetites. So don't be surprised. Just be ready to fend off. How about verse 19? It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Cause divisions. Isn't it interesting that sometimes these people who deny the faith are promoted as uniters? We can all get behind them. We can all get behind this. This is such great unity. Maybe that was the case with the false teachers too. And Jude makes the point, they cause divisions. Think about it. If there's the faith once entrusted, that's what unites. Remember Jude at the beginning even says, our common salvation, that's what unites us. Right there in that close context. What unites us is the faith. When people follow something else, they're not uniting. They might be uniting error, but they're actually divisive. They're, they're fracturing. They cause divisions. And then he says they're worldly, devoid of the Spirit. I, found, I learned something new this week as far as worldly. Um, it seems to be connected to what he says next. Because, you know, worldly, what does that mean? If you come from a fundamentalist background, you're like, oh, they go to movies, you know. You're like, <laughs> or something like, I mean, just something kind of weird, like a cultural kind of thing, and you're like, worldly. At least one commentator made the point, a Greek scholar made the point that it seems to be further defined by what comes after it, and that is they don't have the spirit. I wouldn't die for that view, but it seemed to make sense, more sense to me. They don't belong to heaven. They're worldly. I mean, they, they only have one citizenship. They, they're, they're natural people. They don't have the Holy Spirit. That's who these people are. They're spiritless. Which is ironic because more than likely they're claiming to have the Spirit. It may very well be, at least in our day, people who make stuff up that denies the faith blame the Holy Spirit. But if, regardless of what you claim, if you say things and call them true that aren't true, that undermine or deny or contradict the faith, you can blame the Holy Spirit all day long. You're a worldly, you don't have the Spirit. You're just a natural person. Which is a pretty big insult. Worldly, devoid of the Spirit. Some translated it, this might help you, worldly people. They translated it, natural ones. They're just natural people. Maybe just a, I try to give you a quick rundown, a quick view of apostles. Um, maybe a quick rundown of the Holy Spirit's work. Just ever so quickly, the Holy Spirit is given to us to glorify Christ and his gospel, John chapter 16. So whatever he's going to say or lead or do toward, it's going to complement, not contradict, the gospel and Christ. John 16, 14. Uh, the Spirit inspires the Scripture, God's sufficient revelation in light of 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. 
God told me this. Well, it contradicts the Scripture, so I'm sure it wasn't God. <gasps> You're so mean. No, I've just been entrusted with the faith as a Christian, and so I'm just trying to love you enough to tell you that. Beloved, <laughs> as Jude does, <laughs> if you're talking to a believer, Holy Spirit controls Ephesians chapter 5, bears fruit, including self-control, Galatians chapter 5, illumines, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, helps us to see, understand Scripture, understand the gospel. It's taking the faith and helping us to understand it. But the false teachers who do this stuff in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, they're just natural people. They don't even have the Holy Spirit. How could we possibly know they don't have the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible would never tell you anything that would contradict the Bible. Duh! Right? I mean, I went to public school, but I could figure this out. You're going, this is just like, this is ABC's one, two, threes. It's not, pro, it's not even profound. It's like basic. And I understand it seems, seems heavy, you know. We, it's not, it doesn't seem civil. But if we're talking about heaven and hell, truth tellers and liars, you got to call a truth teller a truth teller and a liar a liar. So in seeing this, remember, he says, that's the command. Why would he say that? Well, to help us understand the faith, but he would also help us, he would say this maybe because we might get panicked. Oh man, you know, false teachers everywhere, false teachers here and there, and there are all kinds of people following them, and I'm so stressed out, and maybe I should too. Maybe what we're doing isn't right. Maybe what we're doing is wrong. Maybe we've missed the memo. Why isn't God giving me new revelation? Uh, you know? He's saying, remember what the apostles said. They warned about this stuff. Keep calm. Keep calm. Don't freak out. I like that. That's helpful for me. If it aligns with the faith... It's where you want to be. Christianity isn't broken. Sometimes we act like Christianity is broken. What's the, what's the next big thing, you know? One, one popular pastor talks about what he does is he, he looks for the... He pastors in Southern California. That sounds good. Um, if the Holy Spirit told me that, I would do that. But anyway. <laughs> what he's doing is he's looking for the next wave. So the surfer image. It sounds good. <laughs> he's looking for the next wave that God sends, and he's just going to make sure he catches the next wave. And I like Southern California, maybe too much. Um, I like waves. I like the ocean. I like God. <laughs> but I also know the Bible says that we've received the faith. And the way to be cutting edge is to be committed to the once and for all historic Christian, the faith. That's cutting edge. It's always relevant. So that's where we want to be. And sometimes that'll be popular. Sometimes it won't be popular. Sometimes it means there might be a lot of people. Sometimes it means there might not be very many people. 
Remember what the apostles said. Hmm, okay. It's helpful. Okay, let's keep going. Survival tactic number two, prioritize your devotion. Prioritize your devotion. Just to kind of set it up, right before we read the text, you're thinking about false teachers, thinking about false teachers, thinking about false teachers. It's not the only thing you need to think about. Okay? Verse 20. But you, beloved... Notice the contrast. They were following their own ungodly passions. And you know it for what it is. It's bad. But, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, verse 21 says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So, you know, don't build your whole focus in life around your discernment ministry, you know. <laughs> and it's all about being against these false teachers. That's commendable to be against false teachers, but sometimes we do an either-or kind of thing. And it's all the negative. Well, make sure you understand that it's, it's not enough to be against these guys. You've got to make sure that you're, you're growing, you're being fed, you're, you're, you're being built up, maturing. So it's a great call for balance we can see here. Now, if you want to look at the details uh, of verses 20 and 21, uh, there's, there's, one, there's one command. There are a lot of things that function as commands, but there's one command. So we're going to start with it, and then we'll pick up the other pieces. It's in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then we'll look at those other statements that, that modify, that help explain, that build upon. But primary command is keep yourselves in the love of God, which is fascinating. How do we cope in dangerous times? How do we have good um, survival tactics? The command to you and to me is keep yourself in the love of God. That's fascinating because back in verse 1, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So we're kept by God. And here it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Verse 24, at the end of Jude, bracketing, bracketing things. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of, uh, of his glory with great joy. So God has kept. It's as good as done, verse 1. And he is able to keep, verse 24. So it would be good and appropriate for us to conclude that God doesn't need our help. And yet it does say, keep yourself in the love of God. I don't know exactly how it works. I know God is going to keep me for sure if I'm a Christian. But I also know that it's not, my whole Christian life isn't, you know, let go and let God kick back R&R and I'm passive. It's a command. Keep yourself in the love of God got to do something. I need to be active in my Christian maturity and active in my Christian growth. And it's not just a passive, I'm just waiting for God to zap me. I'm doing things. Keeping myself in the love of God. Now, if we take that out of context, we probably would develop all kinds of weird doctrines. But where has God shown his love for us? expressly 
centrally. Where's he done that? In Christ, right? Think John 3.16. It doesn't get any more basic than that. That God so loved the world, literally translated better, uh, the idea isn't God so loved the world. I think God loves us a ton, okay? But I don't need to be all weird about it. He, we know how much he loves us because he sent his son, okay? But the idea in, in John 3 is God loved the world in this way. You want to know how God loves? God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. You can even literally translate it. That he gave his unique son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You want to know how God's loved the world? He's loved the world in his son. In the gospel. To use Jude's concepts, that is explained and summarized in the faith. You want to keep yourself in the love of God? You got to stay where the true Jesus is. <laughs> you got to stay where the true gospel is. You got to stay within the sphere of the faith once and for all delivered. You want to move outside of the love of God? You got to go over here and do all kinds of weird stuff that's outside of the true once and for all explained and delivered gospel. Maybe saying that salvation is by grace, but not only by grace. Through faith, but only, not only by faith. And by Christ, but not only by Christ. Well, you just move yourself outside of the love of God because God has loved us expressly, centrally, primarily, wonderfully, maybe it would be a better word, in, in the gospel. I have no doubt that that is what he's getting at. Keep yourselves attached, connected, in the faith. Do we do that on our own or with other believers? Yeah, right? We're doing that now. This is a means for keeping yourself in the faith, keeping yourself in the love of God on your own as, all, as well. Now he gives some other statements that build upon that one, okay? They function like commands, but they're all tied to that first one, which is not the first one in order, but it's, the, it's if you want to be technical, there are three participles that elaborate on that. Keep yourself in the love of God. You keep yourself in the love of God by, look at verse 20, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Not by chasing the bizarre. Not by chasing the extraordinary. Never heard of that before. But keeping yourself in the love of God by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. I love it that he calls it your most holy faith. I think he's using that as a synonym for what he called it in verse 3, the faith. You're going to build yourself up in the faith like we're doing now. The once and for all delivered to the saints faith. But here he doesn't call it the faith. He calls it your most holy faith. Well, yours because it's personal, right? Yours because, remember back at the beginning of Jude, it's been entrusted to you. 
been entrusted to the saints. Not yours to do with whatever you want to do with it because it's been entrusted, right? You gotta, you gotta preserve it. But it's yours because it's personal and, and you're, you're, you're protecting it and you're promoting it. And it's holy, most holy, because it's unique. It's different. In all the best ways, it's strange. That's what holy means. It's distinct. It's set apart. Think about how practical that is. You understand this, even if you don't think you understand it. The most weird faith. The most strange faith is your faith. If it's the faith, and it's the Christian faith, the once and for all delivered faith, why? Because there's no other religion like it. (laughs) Welcome to weirdianity. Okay? (laughs) Because every religion that anybody's ever come up with has to do with us and has to do with what we do and has to do with ultimately feeding our own appetites. It's all been without the Holy Spirit. It's all been this worldly. What's unique and different is this religion where God doesn't help those who help themselves because they're helpless. What, what person would make up a religion that says, you're damned and there's nothing you can do about it? I wouldn't make that up because people wouldn't work for me if I was the head of it. Christianity is the unique one that, that we have so offended God that we're spiritually dead and there's nothing we can do. And Ephesians chapter 2 says we're dead in trespasses and sins. It reminds me of that old Who song. That deaf, dumb, and blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. Okay? We do things. If you're not a Who fan, I'm praying for you. <laughs> we do things. We play pinball. We're even good at it. But spiritually, we're deaf, dumb, and blind. We're incapable. I'm so off track right now. But it's the holy faith because it's different. It's only by God's grace. He loves the unlovely. He declares righteous the unrighteous. Nothing like it. It's the most holy faith. It stays relevant not by the new, but by the finished work of Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. So if you want to keep yourself in the love of God, you're being built up in the most holy faith, which is the apostles' doctrine describing faith. It's the once and for all faith. It's yours. I love it. It's nice to be nice, but it's nice to be weird too. In the holy sense. Right? I'm the guy that whenever we sing holy, 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 I just want to stand up and preach a sermon about it and go, do you guys know what you just said? You just said weird, weird, weird. Strange, strange, strange. Because God is so different from us. And yet, he's come close to us because he's become one of us in and through Jesus Christ so that we can know the strange God. And it becomes our faith. It's so good. It's exciting. It's great.
he elaborates, keeping yourselves in the love of God by, verse 20, praying in the Holy Spirit. What is that? Oh, that's where you say, shoot about a Honda. You didn't catch that? You want to know, speak in tongues, you say, shoot about a Honda. Shoot about a Honda, right? That's what it is. It's not that. <laughs> Some people say, this is speaking in tongues. I don't think it's speaking in tongues. By the way, the gift of tongues in the New Testament was not given to everyone because no one has all spiritual gifts. It was unique. And here he's talking to all saints. So we know it's not speaking in tongues. What is it? Keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. I think it's much more basic than that in our context. He just talked about the Holy Spirit. False teachers don't have the Holy Spirit. You do have the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I think I keep it super simple. I think that's what he's getting at. In one sense, I think you could just say, pray. And you'd have the idea. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Well, it's, it's gospel, building yourselves up there. And what else? What other things should you do to be maturing? You should be praying. You should be talking to God, worshiping God, praising God, making your request known to God. You should be praying. I think what he does, in a sense, is puts, puts his finger in the false teacher's eye, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying by the power of the Holy Spirit, praying with the Holy Spirit, because you, unlike those guys who are intimidating you, have the Holy Spirit. You can know that God hears you. A la Rome, Romans chapter 8. Pray. It's great. So what do we do to keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, it seems pretty basic. Well, we should, we should be built up in the faith, uh, our faith, the most holy faith. We should be praying, praying in the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can talk all you want and do all kinds of incantations and do all kinds of beads and do all kinds of whatever, smoke and all kinds of different things in the name of God and look pious and look holy. If you're outside of the realm of the faith, you don't have the Spirit. And so your praying is an expression of your self-righteousness. It means nothing. But we, we have the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Unlike the false teachers, we have the Holy Spirit. And so we pray with confidence, and it's not just religious, empty words. So then it says, keep yourselves in the love of God is the idea. Verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Eternal life in the ultimate sense, right? Waiting for Jesus to come back. That's what we do as Christians, right? Jesus hasn't come back yet. That's why the world is messed up. That's why unrighteousness is called righteousness and vice versa. And that's why we have pain. That's why we have suffering. That's why we have injustice. And that's why we have all kinds of messy issues. That's why false teachers keep having microphones and keep influencing people. What do we do about it? He says, here's what I want you to do about it. I want you to focus on him coming back because when he comes back he's going to right all of the wrongs and if you remember that it's going to encourage you in the meantime oh friends that's a basic christian discipline christians have been saying since before there was christianity how long oh lord we get it all wrong because we try to do all kinds of weird things with end times at least do this before you do the weird things 
Keep your eyes focused and your hope in the ultimate hope in the future when Christ comes back and it'll help get you through the tough times in the here and now. That's going to be way more helpful than to try to figure out some kind of weird theory about a red moon. Okay? Keep your eyes focused. He's coming. We don't know when, right? These people say they know when, but they know more than Jesus because no one knows. But it's a, it's a basic Christian discipline to be re- waiting for Christ to come back, waiting for Him to return. So what do we do? We commit ourselves to the faith and being built up in the faith, and, and we pray because we can, and we keep looking for Jesus to come back. And you're like, that's it? I paid good money for that? Yeah, there's a reason why we do the offering early, because if you don't think it's very good, <laughs> th- that, that's, that's my survival tactic? That's how I grow spiritually? Yeah. It's another one of those moments I want to go, this is a football, you know? It's like blocking and tackling. It's just like basic Christian things. And you say, but that's not very exciting. It's about all the excitement we need. <laughs> you mean I, I, I can be growing spiritually if I'm committed to those things? Yeah. Yeah, but we're all about all this other stuff. As soon as you have time, maybe you can get around to the other stuff. Provided it's part of the faith. So I love what Jude is doing. Remember, you were warned about these guys. And remember to make sure you have a good, healthy focus on your own spiritual growth, stability, and development. And we can keep it really easy. And then he does one more thing. Survival tactic number three. Carefully help the misled. Carefully help the misled. What we've seen so far is not fancy, it's not esoteric, it's not extraordinary, but it's very Christian. (laughs) Survival tactic number three. Carefully help the misled. Verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. He's going to do his... Jude likes threes. Okay? And he's going to do his triad thing here. And he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Okay, so, so the person who's starting to listen to the false teacher and maybe thinking it sounds pretty good, they're thinking your version of Christianity is too boring. You've got to do some stuff. Do some things. Some new stuff. And they're starting to listen. And it sounds appealing. They're dabbling. And he says, you know, don't just blast them. Don't just write them off. Don't just say, you know, good riddance. Care. Have mercy on those who doubt. I'm really questioning this once and for all, the faith thing, this historic Christianity thing, for whatever reason. Just be kind to them, show mercy to them. Don't go all Rambo on them. Just be kind. Right? Care. Which is harder and harder sometimes the longer you're a Christian. Because you see it, you see it happen again and again and again. And you think, uh-oh, this isn't going to end well. i got other things to do. Don't be calloused. Remember God's mercy to you. Show mercy to them. See, we know people like this, right? We're always going to know people like this. Super practical. 
Then he says, ramping ramping it up a little bit, verse 23, save others, rescue others by snatching them out of the fire. Looks like they're close to being in the fire, close to being captured, falling under the spell of these intruders. Grab them. Probably alluding to Zechariah 3. Snatched out of the fire. Love people enough to be willing to do that. I'm going to go and I'm going to be inconvenienced and I'm going to put forth effort and show love and if I can snatch them out of the fire, I'm going to snatch them out of the fire. We know people like that also. They've been seduced. Maybe you're like that. Somebody loved you enough. And then finally, verse 23, to others, there's a third category of person that we know these kinds of people as well. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Notice the balance. There's fear involved. People take it different ways. I I take it... You don't think you're super Christian. You're dealing with dangerous things and you're getting in in the danger zone. You don't think you're invincible or you shouldn't think you're invincible. To others, show mercy with fear. Notice the kindness there of the mercy. We've already talked about the fear, but also notice hating even the garment stained by the flesh. He's using that image probably from the Old Testament, of a filthy garment with excrement on it. Undergarments. People have gone to the bathroom in their pants. It's defiled. It's disgusting. And you hate the bathroom in your pants religious effects of false teachers. It's unclean. It's disgusting. It's grotesque. It is off-putting. It's the last thing in the world you want to have anything to do with. It's the feces religion. And hate it. But it's balanced with you showing mercy of this person who's, who's getting sucked in and they've been sucked in. I like what Jude is doing because it shows this good kind of balance between these are serious matters and you too should be afraid. The power of false teaching. But at the same, and you should hate it for what it is because it's corrupting, it's defiling. If something is defiled, think about the Old Testament. It's not welcome in the presence of God. You should agree with God and say, that is disgusting. And yet, like God, you show mercy and what, what can I do to try to help in a careful way? to get this person out. I say, I say, God, help us to be that balanced because we probably aren't. There are countless opportunities for us. Again, sometimes we come to church and we think, I just want it to be practical. And we're in danger of concluding, this isn't practical. Just open your eyes. You know people. This is super practical. And also remember that if there's only one, the faith, there are countless options of corruption. 
so we've got great opportunities to love our neighbor, to love God in the name of loving our neighbor, or love our neighbor in the name of loving God. You know people like this. Be kind, be gracious, be merciful. Know what the faith is so you can help them. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, returning one day. We're thankful for him. And we pray even now for people that we know who are misled, being misled, will be misled, entrapped. We're so thankful, some of us, that we're no longer entrapped and someone cared about us and maybe took a risk and did something to help us. Help us at Omaha Bible Church to not be um, self-righteous, supposed know-it-alls, but help us to be men and women and boys and girls who are being built up in the faith and praying and looking forward to Christ's return enough that we would find ourselves compassionately reaching out to others with the good news of salvation in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.